Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with the fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Today is part two of two, where we are talking to J. Gabriel Gates about his novels. During the past two weeks, you will have heard about his journey of writing since he was young, going from being traditionally published to self-published, going straight to readers and avoiding gatekeepers, having the freedom to do what you want with your book, selecting an audiobook narrator, using TikTok to get in front of readers and learn what they want, and weaving your story together. Girl of Hearts, Luck God Series, Book One Four tribes of ruthless demigods rule over luck in our world. Hearts, diamonds, clubs, and spades. To save her mom, Aggie must join them. A proud nerd and teen scientist, Aggie doesn't believe in gods or in luck. Her OCD is under control, mostly, and her mom, Rachel, has just finished building a dark matter machine that could win back her job as a physics professor. When Rachel disappears, Aggie's search brings her to the dangerously handsome Jack of Hearts, a demigod with the power to control luck. Rachel may have been captured by bad luck gods. To save her, Aggie must join Jack and his fellow Valentines. She finds herself whisked into their world of opulent mansions, gorgeous people, and fancy cars. But being a demigoddess isn't all glamour and popularity. It can be deadly. Aggie must master her newfound luck powers, battle the dark suits, and brave the unlucky underbelly of Detroit, all while keeping her OCD at bay, or risk losing her mom forever. Girl of Hearts is book one of the Luck God series. It is a contemporary fantasy series featuring royal intrigue, slow burn romance, and a mind-bending original magic system based on the four card suits. So you, um, I saw the next book is also listed up for pre-order. When are you planning on having the second book done? Yeah, that one is, so So book one is June 22nd. Book two is July 27th. Oh gosh, that fast. So it's coming up, it's coming up quick. So yeah, I've been, I've been, so book one has been done for, for quite a while. And book two uh, is the one that I've been working on and I'm still <laughs> scrambling uh, very, very uh actively to finish up uh, but i really wanted them to come out kind of you know like a one-two punch so that people aren't waiting forever for the second book of the of the series so you uh, didn't get the when does the, book two come out right right <laughs> i'm gonna get when does book three come out because that's gonna take a little longer yeah. <laughs> for me to put together but so do you have, uh, at least people have audiobook to. already in the works for book two uh it, it it is going to soon be in the works but it, it's not it's not yet we haven't started on it okay. yet but <laughs> It's going to be, the, the, I have to finish the regular, <laughs> the book book first before we can start the audio book. Yeah. But. So, um, and then do you have, are you like focusing on this series or do you have like other side projects going at the same time? Right now I'm really focused on this series. I want to, you know, get, certainly I'm going to wrap up book two. I'm going to get book three out. I'm not sure yet if it's going to be a four or a five book series, but okay. I'm definitely focused on that. I do have some other books that um, I are, are, pretty close to being ready to come out they just have to really go through you know a uh, process with an editor and 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 mm-hmm. i can release them so i'm gonna have to just strategically think about when to release those but one of them is a, a middle grade novel um i have also a ya horror novel um that probably could just use a little, you know one more uh, some brushing up and then i'll release yeah. it but i have to figure out when to release those in 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 the context of this series coming out but definitely my main focus is on you know finishing up this series and getting it out to to readers okay and so how are you 
I mean, obviously, I know because I see your TikToks all the time. But how do you use TikToks to help you further? Because I know you said, you know, Facebook groups were talking about it. But um, kind of how did you get into that? And how did you morph to what you do now on there? <laughs> yeah, you know, again, so it's only been since February. And, you know, in Facebook groups, I always see authors talking about TikTok. And they're all like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just starting out. And it's like, bro. Nobody nobody knows what they're doing. Right. I mean, maybe somebody does, but it's like everybody, you know, I'm always like, I mean, just literally the way I do it is every every day I think, oh, I gotta do a TikTok tomorrow. Like, what should I do? And same. You know, and, and yeah, and I'll I have a couple notes, like once in a while I'll think of an idea or two and I'll put a note in my phone. Um, but in general, I, I try to mix it up. I try to have some posts that talk about my my work or what I'm working on or the book that's coming out mm-hmm. or I do have my the the novella of the series that um, people can get for free if they sign up for my email list. So um, you know, once or twice a week, I'll mention those things. I always want to have something that's about um, reading. I mean, I like to ask questions. I mean, mm-hmm. Like I said, I got great information about you know audio book versus ebook versus paperback by just asking the question. Right. So. Um, and I just asked about like today or whatever, I asked about genre, like just what genre do you read? So it's just fun to, um, and that also elicits responses. So you're getting interactions with people, you're getting to know people. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll ask questions on there. Sometimes I will, um, if I, when I finish a book, I'll share some things I liked about that book. I don't really, mm-hmm. I don't do reviews per se, because I, 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 I just, I really don't want to be in the business of criticizing other writers' right. work. My, myself, but I, I, what I do is I, I post three things that I liked about a, a particular book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, and then just like some humor, you know, just like, like you said, some silly stuff being goofy with a trending sound or whatever. And mm-hmm. if, if I can wrap it back to my writing or books in some way, like, I mean, it's usually, usually has something to do with books in some way. Right. But, um, cause I, cause <laughs> I truly try to keep it that I mean, I don't, I don't want a bunch of like random people. I mean, I really, I'm trying to be in the book talk community right. um, and, you know, just, just share and, and communicate with, with readers. So that's, that's my, my aim. So they really fall in those baskets, like about my own, my own, you know, writing, the writing life books I'm reading and just funny, goofy stuff, you know, <laughs> so, hopefully they're all entertaining. I mean, I try to, yeah. make, it is a, a TikTok is an interesting art form, right? Cause it is like a, even if it's seven seconds, right. You're telling a story. Um, right. So I, I, I try to have it be engaging and, 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 and you know, and, and hopefully everyone is something that elicits some response from people, even if they click, click that they liked it or they weren't going to respond or, you know, laugh yeah. or share, share their, like favorite book or their opinion or their thought on this or that trope or, or whatever, you know? So hopefully it elicits interaction. That's one cool thing about, about, um, TikTok too, is like a lot of other social medias. I feel like you're just kind of throwing something out into a void, you know? (laughs) Um, and you know, yeah, you might get some likes or whatever, but it's like, eh, like, I don't know. I don't know what really happened with that, but like book talk is great because it really, it really gets out to people. Yeah, people really respond. People are enthusiastic. People are so kind and supportive. It's like amazing. I mean, even if like you know my my books come out and nobody buys them and whatever, it's already been a, a amazing, life changing experience just to interact with all the readers on there. It's it's been awesome. So well, and it's so I keep. I, I typically so Monday through Friday I try to post like one a day and it's typically about narrating because I usually do it at the beginning of my narrating day so I'm thinking about I'm about to start narrating this book what like what random thing yeah. can I say today um but yeah and I've noticed I have recently been getting comments on like older videos of like yeah. you know how do you get like I don't even know I, it was a video totally unrelated but someone was like hey how do you you know get into narrating or whatever and i'm like i'm not comfortable enough to coach anybody but here's how i learned what i do yeah yeah (laughs) so at the end of the day i don't know what you sound like based on your comment and i don't know who would or would not like your voice but here's where to go to get information to see if it's for you or not so (laughs) yeah right yeah it it is yeah and it's it's a great platform for sharing information and knowledge and <clears throat> it's always fun because yeah in these communities there are always people who are super experienced you know have been doing things for years and there are mm-hmm. people who are aspiring and have maybe never done something but they would like to try it out whether it's narration or writing or what so um yeah it, it is cool to be able to share those interactions with people and you know share knowledge and it's like wherever you're at there's somebody who 
knows a lot more than you. And there's yes. somebody who knows a lot less than you and would benefit from your insight. So it's, well, and it's even, always I mean, because a couple of the people that I've talked to are probably most most of the people I've talked to so far have been people I narrated for. And a lot of them, it was their first book. But someone who's just yeah. starting out and just learned how to do all this is going to have it fresh in their mind for you know, someone else were like someone like you who's been doing it for a little bit. You may not remember those little nitpicky things that you had to learn at the beginning that are now second nature to you. So, yeah, it's true. Um, I, I, I always, you know, segue into like what is like tips and tricks you would give for authors that are, you know, wanting to maybe they've been writing <laughs> since they were a kid and thinking about publishing. Like what are some tips or tricks or whatever that you would give for someone? Yeah, I mean, I think always my advice for anyone starting off with writing or, or you know, aspiring, trying to begin um, is to create a daily discipline um, to write consistently. I mean, that's like Stephen King's book on writing. His big advice is, is, is the same thing, you know, which is, you know, step one is put your butt in the chair, right? right. And, 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 and take the time, whether and, and honestly, a lot of my writing career takes place in an hour a day maybe two hours a day, but like mm -hmm. an hour, you know, but consistently, consistently, right. you know, don't think because it's, I think people get into a lot of trouble when they are like, okay, I have some time on a Saturday. You know, they sit down on a Saturday, they write for four hours. They feel great about it. Right. Well, mm -hmm. Monday they're busy, you know, su Sunday, they don't write Monday. They're busy Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, two weeks go by, they sit down, they start to write again. And then they have writer's block. Right. It, right. You know, but it's, it's like, you know, you, you spend that much time away from the work and, and two things happen. Number one, you forget all the little threads. You know, it's like weaving. You're holding all these little threads of a story. Yeah. When you put those down and then come back and pick them up, it's like, it, it's hard to remember where everything went, you know? So either you need um, one hell of a plan at the beginning that your threads mm -hmm. are there for you to follow already. <laughs> Yeah. Or yeah. you need to consistently be now for me, I'm obviously narrating during the week. So I'm researching for my own novels on the weekends, which is the only time I have available to sure. write. Yeah. So but, you know, ideally, I'm doing that consistently every single weekend. This yeah. weekend did not work out for me, but normally it does. <laughs> Well, see, and I don't want to, I don't want to poo-poo somebody who only has time on the weekends, but yeah. I will say, I, I do think it's beneficial, even if it's a half an hour, you know, yeah. to sit, sit down for a half an hour and write one page, right? you know, write, write one page. And, and, and that, that keeps your head in the story, you know? And my and, goal is usually like one chapter because my chapters tend to be now I'm in, I'm researching for a book right now so I'm very mm -hmm. much entrenched in reading a bunch of stuff but um I was writing a book got 30,000 words in and it went nope we're going to pause so we're going to run off with this other story so <laughs> that's we're researching other story right now but yep. um when I was writing the story that's now on pause it was like try to get one chapter a day done even if that's you know some of the chapters were short some were longer but um that was like the goal right now mm -hmm. this week that didn't work I'm prepping a trilogy to narrate right now that I start on Friday so I'm like this has to be done. Like it has to be <laughs> right. ready to go. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's hard. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's very hard. Everybody is balancing, you know, life, life. with yeah. their artistic life, you know? And I, I mean, there are definitely years where, um, I mean, I used to, I lived in Los Angeles. I was in the, in the uh, apartment, you know, management business when I saw so I was doing acting, I was doing auditioning for TV commercials. And then, leasing apartments but during my lunch break i would literally I'd go into to an empty apartment and for 45 minutes while i scarfed my lunch i would be writing because that was the time <laughs> that i had to write you yeah know? so that yeah. was it 45 45 minutes but um you know if you if you keep your head in the book and keep working on it consistently it's it's amazing what you can accomplish and then the other thing you said about was planning and I'd, I'd say that'd be my other piece of advice that i've learned the hard way over the years is, is that I have become more of a planner than a, a pantser, more of a plotter than a, a pantser than I used mm -hmm. to be, you know? Um, and I think there's still plenty of, you know, I've, I've developed a, a little more systematic way to um, out, outline a, a plot so that I have it laid out ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And there's still, I, I mean, I still surprise myself every time I sit down to write, like every time I sit down to write something, random comes out of left field that's just 
<laughs> weird and surprising. And you have to have, you have to leave that space for it. Yeah. That's the interesting stuff. Like that is the gold is that, and what makes it interesting for readers and makes it feel real is because that's the character that's what, that runs in and tells some joke that yeah, yeah, you had the, no yeah, idea the, was the, coming. Right. The banter <laughs> that you didn't pre-plan or the, yeah. the thing that goes sideways on your character. And, and I think life is like that. You know, you plan a trip to the beach and then, um, you know, whatever the place you try and go to lunch is closed. You end up going to the super uh, for me, place. There's you, people there, you know. Uh, for me, you plan a trip to the beach and then neither of your cars will start. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it's the, so having a, but, but having a plan does help because you can, I mean, you can literally save with, with four hours of outlining, you can save four months of rewriting. Right. <laughs> the, right. You know? And I, I found that out the hard way with rewriting whole things that, you know, you get down a certain path and you go, I have no idea where this is going. That's another thing we are like, oh, I have writer's block. It's like, mm, it, you know, you're writing something with, you're writing a road to nowhere, basically, right? Because you didn't right. know where, you're, where you, were, you were going. And if you just pre-plan ahead of time, then then at least you know where you're going, right? You just have to write your your way there. So, so do um, you have yeah. a particular like software or way that you outline? No, I'm not fancy with my software. I have... <laughs> I, I write on Microsoft Word. I'm old. Okay. I'm old school. It's Microsoft Word, but I, I have a template for plotting that I have developed over time. It's like a, mm -hmm. a mish mishmash of like a few different philosophies of um, plotting. And I think you know when I was younger, again, I I, I thought, oh, that's formulaic. You know, it's somehow going to damage your your art or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, it's it's not at all because I can tell you from experience, if you sit down and try to write something brand new, right. That mm -hmm. like some unplotted thing that no one's ever heard of. Um, it, it's either going to be bizarre, unreadable garbage, or it's going to be, um, it's going to end up having a plot anyway, right. It's going to have a right. plot despite you, right. It's going to have a beginning. Or, it's going to have a middle and an ending. Right. right. And, or and, you're going to have all the comments. Like, I feel like this author was all over the place. Because it never yeah. has, like, it, it has like to it. have, yeah. yeah, it has to have something or that will be your bad comments is, yeah, it never went anywhere. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So if you, if you do, you know, if you think ahead of time about, and, and it helps with just the, the proportionality of your story too. It helps when you're feeling a little lost, you can go like, well, well, what should happen right now in the story? And you can look at like, well, I'm at about page, um, 75 right so i should be uh -huh. transitioning into kind of the middle part of my story a little bit and you know you can think these are the kind of things that ought to be happening and it's just a way to to check yourself right if you're on page you know 75 of a 300 page story and you're still very much in the beginning right and you haven't really <laughs> transitioned right. to the main to, to the main action you know maybe that's a little bit of a red flag like okay maybe i need to hurry up and turn the page to more of the middle action of the story so it's, uh -huh. it's just a good way to measure your the proportionality of your story to make sure it's moving along pacing wise the way right. it ought to yeah. or it gives you a, if you know i need to make it to this big battle scene it also gives you a little bit of how do i segue to that let's write that to get there yeah it, it, it yeah it does it, it helps provide you motivation too because like yeah that big battle scene right if you're excited to get to it um that can be the thing that, that that keeps you writing and keeps keeps you moving forward is like, oh, mm -hmm. I really want to get to that scene. Um, you know, so I'm gonna write my way to it. And right. that helps to also stem off that writer's block. Idea. Now I have seen I have seen a couple authors on TikTok say that they will skip ahead and write the scene they're really looking forward to. And I'm like, but then what happens when you get to the end of the book and all you have left to do is the boring stuff? <laughs> all the boring parts. Like <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh I don't do that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend um, <laughs> it to anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't do it because then I, I feel like all, all those little like subtle things that brought me to that. But I feel like I end up having to re rewrite that scene anyway, because yeah. of all the, all the little subtle threads that brought me into that point might be different. So yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't personally do that, but I, I, I get why people <laughs> might, might do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you are, Working on finishing up this possibly four books, possibly five books. And then do you have any and getting other ones edited? Do you have any other series on the horizon or any other plans for anything coming up? Yeah, I, I have an idea for another series after this one. Um, the the Luck Gods universe that I'm writing in now is cool because I could I mean, I, I could write it 
like infinite books in the, in this universe, which is, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. So I could always come back to it. I could always write more. I could always write different spinoffs. Like even like the novella that I have is, is a side story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that's cool about this. It, so it's just to talk about it a little bit. It is, um, the, the, the magic is a luck-based magic system and the mm-hmm. characters are these demigods that are based on the playing cards. Like, so hearts, diamonds, clubs, spades, mm-hmm. the black suits are, have dominion over bad luck. The red suits have dominion over good luck. Um, and they're kind of always in turmoil trying to balance power towards themselves, toward mm-hmm. their, their own suit. Um, and as so usually happens. <laughs> As usually happens, right? So, but it's kind of cool because there's just, I mean, like like that right there is what fifty two characters, you know. So yeah, yeah there, there's a lot that you could you could do, and then there's all the ancillary um, sort of magic parry, or what they call, it, but the magical like luck beings that are also connected to it takes place in in modern day Detroit, so it's it's contemporary, um, but there's also some other luck beings that exist as, as well. So, I mean, you could, I could just write forever in this world. So that's cool. So I may write a lot of books in it. Who knows? But I do have an idea <laughs> for another series, but it's the, the other series is one that I've been thinking about for about like 10 years too. And there's still like pieces of it that aren't quite in, in place in my mind. So I'm, I'm happy mm-hmm. that I'm still working on this other series, but yeah, yeah. At, at this point in my life, like things like marinate for like five, six years before I have time to work on them anyway. And so <laughs> they're hopefully ready to go. So. so I'm I'm working on the researching. I'm planning a mythology related series. Mm-hmm. And so like I'm currently reading through, which I had no idea I would consider it more fantasy, but the Akatar series is in the mythology subgenre, which I can kind of see how some of the characters are like a picture of, even though they don't use the same names. Um, But Mm. as I'm reading through that, I'm not copying, but it's helping develop my storyline of, oh, I could do not related to Akatar, but it's helping me build the storyline by reading a different book. I'm making my own books. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's like all, all, you know, or so many stories are, I mean, just, just the same way every car has four wheels and an engine and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and a passenger space or whatever. Like, yeah, the more, the more you read, the more you can internalize all, you know, all those different possible story structures that, yeah, it's very helpful. A lot of authors that I've talked to too, it's like, they'll, you know, hear a song or they'll watch a show or whatever. And it will be, but what ha- would happen if th- this got changed this way? You know, how would that story play out? And that's where their book came from is that. <laughs> so mm-hmm, what would happen yeah. if um, I talked to Jason Duro, who's also on TikTok, um, and he that was his story. Well, what would happen if this is how it was? You know, the world was like this and that's how his story came about. <laughs> or, you know, I talked to one who hers came, one of her books came from a song that she heard on the radio one day or a dream that you know they had one day or whatever yeah yeah (laughs) that inspiration can come from anywhere and countless ways you can create the stories and change them right yeah and i think non-writers are often like wow how do you get the idea for it and it's like "Eh." the hard part is not necessarily the idea right because there's so many things so many ideas that are there are things you could write but it's like that i an idea that first of all you want to spend years potentially working on but also right. that idea that like you're just solving certain thing things about it like ma- making it a story that resonates you know not not just the kernel of the idea but fleshing that out with characters and with <clears throat> you know its own you know myth- mythology and its own internal logic and all, all that right. all that that stuff you know and, and and like i said there are ideas that i've had for years and, and books that i've even written a couple versions of that like there's still something that like, I don't missing. know, like, yeah. Or like, there are like books, things where I have a concept, but like, okay, what's the real action of the story, you know, like mm-hmm. beyond the concept, like, what do they do? Like, okay. you know, this con- <laughs> There's these characters the character. yeah, and here's they, the character, here's the concept, <laughs> but what's the like meat in the yeah. sandwich, you know? And it's like, there's, I still have stories that I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe someday I'll figure it out. <laughs> I mean, they're they're always there on the back burner. Um, right. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes, like, I mean, I tried to write the first 
time I really remember writing, there was this movie on Disney Channel, and I was probably a little older than someone who should have been watching it, but this girl had a journal that she would write and publish, and, like, none of her friends knew she was this author of this journal. And I, like, started trying to write at that time, and it was it was terrible. It was terrible writing. <laughs> but ever since then, it's, you know, the same thing, trying to come up with not only the characters, but the storyline and, like... I love, and this does not happen often, I'm very good at guessing the ending of a story. Very mm, good mm-hmm. at, at guessing um, the whodunit. Even if it's a very well-written, you shouldn't have caught it, I can usually pick out what's going to happen at the end. Um, beyond, like, the guy always gets the girl and stuff in romance. But <laughs> um, So, like, for me, there's very few books that surprise me mm-hmm. to get there. But, like... I hope to write a book that would surprise someone because that is so rare for me to have a book that actually ends up surprising. I want to have that book where, like, you get to the end and you're like, how the heck did that happen? Like, where yeah. did that come from? <laughs> well, it's always reasonable. It, it can't yeah. be an unreasonable thing. It has to right, be like right, a right, thing that yeah. could have happened thing. But yeah, it is always an amazing trick when you have an ending that surprises you. But then you look back, you're like, oh, damn, all the pieces were there. You know, like, yeah. uh, you know, like they did it. They had they, they foreshadowed it. But yet I didn't I didn't see it coming. I no, But yeah, I agree. When you're a writer, it doesn't happen yeah, all yeah. the time. Like I narrated, <laughs> like, eh. I narrated book one in a series and she dropped these little nuggets of like the friend of the main characters having these dreams of like her flying with these other characters in this story. And I know because me and her talked that book two, one of she adds an extra. So book one is told only from the main character's perspective. Book two, she adds the male main character from book one and then this friend. And I'm like, I could see all the little nuggets you were dropping that like some people may not put those those together. But I'm like, I can see things are going to happen in book two that I can already kind of guess that's what's going to happen because of these little Nuggets that most people are like, oh, she just had a dream. I'm like, no, no, no. There's never just a dream in a book. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There shouldn't be. Yeah, usually. Yeah. It's well, going to it's lead to, it's either nightmares from something that happened or it's like foreshadowing mm-hmm. for something that's coming or like <laughs> it's, the dreams are something. <laughs> right. Well, then there are the books where you can see from the beginning, like you can tell what what's going to happen, but you're either like dreading it or you're like excited like make this thing happen like come on how's it gonna happen or whatever you know like you you know it's there you know it's gonna come yeah but you still have that like tension about it you know so to be quite honest so i just finished book three of akatar so i'm three massive books into this series but the big battle that happens in book three i thought was going to be the final battle so i'm like what the heck is going to happen in book four because book three already took the battle i thought was going to be the end Right, right. I'm like, I know it's going to be, I mean, people on TikTok wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't great. So I'm sure it's going to be amazing, but I'm I'm grounded from reading until I prep my trilogy. So, (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, got to work first, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's uh, like yours, I'm sure it's a mini, it's a fantasy, many, many, many characters. Author also wrote his own language. So I have that aspect in the narrating as well. I'm like, yeah, it's just a little more prep than I'm used to the normal like read through and get a feel for the characters. (laughs) Yeah, its own language thing. That would be a challenge. (laughs) He he spent 10 years developing his language before writing his books. So that's amazing. That's I'm like, cool. and this, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, he's got, you know, influence of Tolkien and stuff like that as well. But, um, it's, it's fascinating working. I mean, both the seeing. So on TikTok, I see after I got past the initial dance videos and stuff. I'm now like narrators and authors and writers. I see all the, all the things that I'm sure you're also seeing. <laughs> it's just interesting to see. I forgot where I was going with that. How they all come together. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I've seen several videos lately about, you know, authors don't get in the reader side of, you know, don't pretend like you're a reader because now you're an author or whatever. <laughs> video. Yeah. I don't know if you've, you've seen those. I'm like, well, I'm technically, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself a writer yet because nothing's published yet. But I'm like writing, but I still read a lot more than I write. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
I, yeah, I mean, I like to connect with people as a fellow reader, you know, yeah. and I also like to connect with readers as an author. And I also like to connect with other authors as, you know, as an author. So I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully nobody feels like I'm being, you know, disingenuous or something like that. But I think people, I think people have a right. I think an author has a right to put on their reader hat and, yeah. you know, <laughs> express themselves as a reader they're still readers you know so well, and too, I, don't know. I feel like you have to be reading stuff in i mean you can write in multiple genres that's fine but you have to be reading stuff in whatever genres you're writing in to know what are the trends or whatever yeah so like um i feel like that's part of part of the job too is looking at not necessarily because i've heard i've seen authors talk about you need to make sure your covers match what the trending covers are like i don't you know, make the cover that you like. I don't care what that is. But, um, you know, if you're not, if you don't know <laughs> what books are in your genre and like what that's about, <laughs> you yeah, may have, for sure. you may have trouble writing, <laughs> you know, there's nothing new. There's just redeveloping those things. Um, at least, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe, yeah, you know, you, you, I haven't you seen read- any new genres lately, but <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. You have to read in your genre. And in fact, I, I, you know, I, somebody had a comment on one of my TikToks that it was sort of like alluding to that. Like they were working on something and then they were like, Oh, I don't know. It's a little bit like whatever. And I, I remember when I started out as a writer that I would be right. I would write something and then something would come out that was like very, very vaguely or somebody would be like, Oh, that's kind of like whatever. I'd be like, Oh no. Like somebody else has a thing. It's a little bit like my thing. I'd be like, oh, no, especially because I took myself very seriously as an artist, right? So yeah. I was like, no, no, no. You know, people are like, I gotta, I gotta like make sure I, I have to make sure that I like, what if somebody steals my idea? Like, I don't want to put my book out because what if somebody steals the idea? It's like, bro, every, every idea is out there, you know? Like, if, if you yeah. don't think that someone has done something like what you did, like, is Harry Potter the only, the, the, the first ever, you know, story of like magic. somebody at a, a magic school? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No? You know, like, if, if you think that it's the only thing like something, like, you, you need, again, you need to read some more in, in your genre, right? Because yeah, like everything is, is, is a little bit like something, you know? Yeah, the issue is, if you are writing, if you are writing your own stuff, you need to not be 100% copying what someone else does. Sure, you need yeah. to have yeah. which I mean if you're using your brain like you should, you are going to have your own thoughts and perspective and changes that you would like to see made that's going to develop your own story. And that's you know part of being a writer is writing your own perspective on things whether that's someone else's book that inspired you or a song or a random people that have dreams. I mean, I guess I've been dreaming Akatar. <laughs> I wouldn't write that as my book. I would, you know, come up with some spin on it. Um, but yeah, just knowing, reading, having an idea. Of, and I'm, I was talking to the author I talked to earlier today about like werewolf books. How many different ways have werewolves and vampires been redone? People still read it and people still write it. Sure. Yeah. And right. do it how many dozens of different ways? <laughs> right. Yeah. You can't be like, oh no, so, uh, someone else wrote a vampire book. Like, yeah. <laughs> my vampire book is no good now. It's like, ah, you can, it's okay. The room's, the yeah, Dracula's still has been room around. For more. Dracula's yeah. been around for a while. So. <laughs> yeah. You're not the first one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, it's funny. I still, I still am kind of in that mindset because I'm like, you know, I'm going to make a completely original magic system with original gods no one's ever heard of. I probably get a lot further just like <clears throat> writing about, you know, the, the the Greek gods or something, something like that people know about. But I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm going to make up my my own total, you know, new new thing that people are like, well, what's that? But you know, again, like anything, <laughs> again, and there's an audience for it. You know what I mean? There's yeah. people who would prefer to read about something that already exists and there's people who are going to go oh this is like brand brand new like i'm going to take a shot on it and see if it's interesting so well my um, attempt but, but again be, you know like yeah there's yeah my my attempt is attempting to merge the different mythologies together with a twist so like i don't know and i haven't fully developed everything yet but essentially all the stories are true kind of thing or all the stories were like them sitting around a campfire, you know, making up stories one night and people have now taken this as fact or whatever. 
I'm not all the way there yet, but I'm I'm researching a bunch of different mythologies to use some from all of them. So yeah, that's fun. That's great. Yeah. Well, then that that gives you a kind of maximum flexibility, right? Because yes. Can, Whatever, whatever works well. Well, that's the, the beauty that of so, yeah. that. That's the beauty of fantasy. You can do what you want, but I do enough. Re- I'm researching because there are some things when you're using known characters already. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain things that you want to make sure that are there, so you can clearly distinguish Zeus from you know the other ones or whatever. Like there's those powers that need to stay true to that character yeah. <laughs> but it's fantasy so you could do what you want with the rest of it <laughs> right right well and by the same token that is true that is the advantage of um having a, a completely original system that's not based on anything else it's, yeah <laughs> you know yeah, i can do what i want oh, they're not they're not really supposed to be like that it's like hmm, they're supposed to be however i want them yeah <laughs> so, came out of my brain nice i can about, do what i want <laughs> right yeah that's that's why i don't write nonfiction. right it's uh it's whatever i want it to be <laughs> so it's that's fun yeah i like that you're, you're the god of your own little world yeah All right. So I think we are about done. Do you have any parting words or tips before we close it out? Uh, No, I don't think so. I mean, I think just for for writers out there, just, uh, you know, keep reading, try and be consistent with your work. And um, for for readers out there, thank you, because like you guys are amazing. You're you're the the reason that that you give purpose to all of our sitting around making stuff up you know it's a it's a, it's a beautiful <laughs> it's a beautiful melding of minds when, yes. when authors and readers come together so yes. it's great and uh and check out my book so yeah june 22nd girl of hearts comes out it's going to be on ku it's going to be available on ebook through amazon and paperback through everywhere and hardback through amazon and <laughs> uh and it's going to be available on audible and the book well, too these- is going to come out july 27th so well, these episodes will actually air in August. So both of Her, your books perfect. will be yeah. out. So I'll have links for them to buy the books in the show notes. Um, I'll find some awesome. Robin Hood-esque stories. <laughs> then, cool. um, so I get a little bit of the talking to authors, which is part of my job as a narrator. And then I get the you know narrating the fairy tales at the end in there as well. And I Try to stick close to the original author's version, which a lot of times is trying to teach some kind of a lesson, however twisted that lesson might be on some <laughs> of the fairy tales. <laughs> sometimes it gets twisted, that's true. Yeah, yeah sometimes, yeah. The, the Disney versions are way nicer than the originals in most cases. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I still remember my daughter who's now eight. The first time we read her, like one of the original versions of um, Little Red Riding Hood. I just remember her going, oh my, oh my. (laughs) And the hunter like cuts open the wolf. She's like, oh my. (laughs) Yep. But it was like back in the day. Intense. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know what the lesson was. Scare the crap out of the poor kids. I I don't know. Be be afraid of your grandmother. Your grandmother may may not be your grandmother. Be yeah, I mean, careful. I did uh, <laughs> yep. Hansel and Gretel for one of the authors. That was her favorite story growing up. And that story is like, I'm going to eat you. Or like the parents are like, or the dad and the stepmother are like, we're going to leave you in the woods because we can't afford to eat. So we're just going to like ditch you in the woods. Super macabre. I like that one too. That's a great story too because it is. It's so dark. Super like, dark. Why? Yep. Why? Like, that is terrible. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope you have a good rest of your Saturday and I will see you around TikTok. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you have a good day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Jay Gabriel Gates liked the story of Robin Hood when he was younger. Robin Hood is a legendary heroic outlaw originally depicted in English folklore and subsequently featured in literature and film. According to legend, he was a highly skilled archer and swordsman. In some versions of the legend, he is depicted as being of noble birth, and in modern retellings, he is sometimes depicted as having fought in the Crusades before returning to England to find his lands taken by the sheriff. In the oldest known versions, he is instead a member of the Yaoman class. Traditionally depicted dressed in Lincoln green, he is said to have robbed from the rich and given to the poor. 
Today we'll be reading How Robin Hood Came to Be an Outlaw by Howard Pyle. Don't forget, we are also continuing the original story of Beauty and the Beast on our Patreon. How Robin Hood Became an Outlaw Listen and hearken, gentlemen, that be of freeborn blood. I shall you tell of a good yeoman, his name was Robin Hood. Robin was a proud outlaw while as he walked on the ground. So courteous an outlaw as he was one was never none else found. In the days of good King Harry II of England, he of the Warring Sons, there were certain forests in the North Country set aside for the king's hunting, and no man might shoot deer therein under the penalty of death. These forests were guarded by the king's foresters, the chief of whom in each wood was no mean man but equal in authority to the sheriff in his walled town, or even to my lord bishop in his abbey. One of the greatest of royal preserves was Sherwood and Barnsdale forests near the two towns of Nottingham and Barnsdale. Here for some years dwelt one Hugh Fitzooth as head forester with his good wife and son Robert. The boy had been born in Loxley Town in the year 1160, stern records say, and was often called Locusley or Rob of Locusley. He was a comely, well-knit stripling, and as soon as he was strong enough to walk, his chief delight was to go with his father into the forest. As soon as his right arm received thew and sinew, he learned to draw the long bow and speed a true arrow. While on winter evenings, his greatest joy was to hear his father tell of bold Willa the Green, the outlaw who for many summers defied the king's foresters and feasted with his men upon king's deer. And on other stormy days, the boy learned to whittle out a straight shaft for the longbow and tip it with gray goose feathers. The fond mother sighed when she saw the boy's face light up at these woodland tales. She was of gentle birth and had hoped to see her son famous at court or abbey. She taught him to read and to write, to doff his cap without awkwardness, and to answer directly and truthfully both lord and peasant. But the boy, although he took kindly to these lessons of breeding, was yet happiest when he had his beloved bow in hand and strolled at will, listening to the murmur of the trees. Two playmates had Rob in these gladsome early days. One was Will Gamewell, his father's brother's son who lived at Gamewell Lodge, hard by Nottingham Town. The other was Marion Fitzwalter, only child of the Earl of Huntingdon. The castle of Huntingdon could be seen from the top of one of the tall trees in Sherwood. And on more than one bright day, Rob's white signal from his tree told Marion that he awaited her there. For you must know that Rob did not visit her at the castle. His father and her father were enemies. Some people whispered that Hugh Fitzooth was the rightful Earl of Huntingdon, but that he had been defrauded out of his lands by Fitzwalter, who had won the king's favor by a crusade to the Holy Land. But little cared Rob or Marion for this enmity, however it had arisen. They knew that the great green wood was open to them and that the wide, wide world was full of the scent of flowers and the song of birds. Days of youth speed all too swiftly, and troubled skies come all too soon. Rob's father had two other enemies besides Fitzwalter, in the persons of the lean sheriff of Nottingham and the fat bishop of Hereford. These three enemies one day got possession of the king's ear and whispered therein to such good or evil purpose that Hugh Fitzooth was removed from his post of king's forester. He and his wife and Rob, then a youth of nineteen, were descended upon— during a cold winter's evening and dispossessed without warning, the sheriff arrested the forester for treason, of which, poor man, he was as guiltless as you or I, and called him to Nottingham jail. Rob and his mother were sheltered overnight in the jail also, but next morning were roughly bade to go about their business. Thereupon they turned for succor to their only kinsman, Squire George of Gamewell, who sheltered them in all kindness. But the shock and the winter night's journey proved too much for Dame Fitzooth. She had not been strong for some time before leaving the forest. In less than two months, she was no more. Rob felt as though his heart was broken at this loss, but scarcely had the first spring flowers begun to blossom upon her grave when he met another crushing blow in the loss of his father. That stern man had died in prison before his accusers could agree upon the charges by which he was to be brought to trial. 
Two years passed by. Rob's cousin Will was away at school, and Marion's father, who had learned of her friendship with Rob, had sent his daughter to the court of Queen Eleanor. So these years were lonely ones to the orphaned lad. The bluff old squire was kind to him, but secretly could make nothing of one who went about brooding and as though seeking for something he had lost. The truth is that Rob missed his old life in the forest no less than his mother's gentleness and his father's companionship. Every time he twanged the string of the longbow against his shoulder and heard the gray goose shaft sing, it told him of happy days that he could not recall. One morning, as Rob came into breakfast, his uncle greeted him with, I have news for you, Rob, my lad. And the hardy old squire finished his draft of ale and set his pewter tankard down with a crash. What may that be, Uncle Gamewell? asked the young man. Here is a chance to exercise your good longbow and win a pretty prize. The fair is on at Nottingham, and the sheriff proclaims an archer's tournament. The best fellows are to have places with the king's foresters, and the one who shoots straightest of all will win a prize for a golden arrow. A useless bobble enough, but just the thing for your lady love. Eh, Rob, my boy? boy? Here the squire laughed and whacked the table again with his tankard. Rob's eyes sparkled. "'Twere indeed worth shooting for uncle mine,' he said. "'I should dearly love to let Arrow fly alongside another man, and a place among the foresters is what I have long desired. Will you let me try?' "'To be sure,' rejoined his uncle. "'Well, I know that your good mother would have had me a clerk of you, "'but, well, I see that the greenwood is where you will pass your days, "'so here's luck to you in the bout.' "'And the huge tankard came a third time into play. "'The young man thanked his uncle for his good wishes "'and set about making preparations for the journey. "'He traveled lightly.' but his U-bow must needs have a new string, and his cloth-yard arrows must be of the straightest and soundest. One fine morning a few days after, Rob might have been seen passing by way of Loxley through Sherwood Forest to Nottingham Town. Briskly walked he and gaily, for his hopes were high, and never an enemy had he in the wide world. But t'was the very last morning in all his life when he was to lack an enemy. For as he went his way through Sherwood, whistling a blithe tune, he came suddenly upon a group of foresters making merry beneath the spreading branches of an oak tree. They had a huge meat pie before them and were washing down prodigious slices of it with nut-brown ale. One glance at the leader and Rob knew at once that he had found an enemy. T'was the man who had usurped his father's place as head forester, and who had roughly turned his mother out in the snow. But never a word said he for good or bad, and would have passed on his way, had not this man cleared his throat with a huge gulp, bellowed out, "'By my troth, here's a pretty little archer. Where you go, my lad, with this tuppany bow and toy arrows? Be like he would shoot at Nottingham Fair, ho, ho!' A roar of laughter greeted this sally. Rob flushed, for he was mightily proud of his shooting. My bow is as good as yours, he retorted, and my shafts will carry as straight and as far, so I'll not take lessons of any of ye. They laughed again loudly at this, and the leader said with a frown, Show us some of your skill, and if you can hit the mark, here's twenty silver pennies for you. But if you hit it not, you are in for a sound drubbing for your pertness. Pick your own target, quoth Rob in a fine rage. I'll lay my head against that purse that I can hit it. It shall be as you say, retorted the forester angrily. Your head for your sauciness that you hit not my target. Now at a little rise in the wood, a herd of deer came grazing by. Distant full five score yards. They were king's deer, but at that distance seemed safe from any harm. The head forester pointed to them. If your young arm could speed a shaft for half that distance, I'd shoot with you. Done cried Rob. My head against twenty pennies, I'll cause yon fine fellow in the lead of them to breathe his last. And without more ado, he tried the string of his longbow, placed a shaft thereon, and drew it to his ear. A moment, and the quivering string sang death as the shaft whistled across the glade. Another moment, and the leader of the herd leapt high in his tracks and fell prone, dying of the sword with his heart's blood. 
A murmur of amazement swept through the foresters, and then a growl of rage. He that had wagered was angriest of all. "'Know you what you have done, rash youth!' He said, you have killed a king's deer, and by the laws of King Harry, your head remains forfeit. Talk not to me of pennies, but get ye gone straight, and let me not look upon your face again. Rob's blood boiled within him, and he uttered a rash speech. I have looked upon your face once too often already, my fine forester. Tis you who wear my father's shoes. And with this, he turned upon his heel and strode away. The forester heard his parting thrust with an oath. Red with rage, he seized his bow, strung an arrow, and without warning launched it full af Rob. Well was it for the latter that the forester's foot turned on a twig at the critical instant, for as it was, the arrow whizzed by his ear so close as to take a stray strand of his hair with it. Rob turned upon his assailant not two score yards away. Ha! said he. You shoot not so straight as I for all your bravado. Take this from the tuppany bow. Straight flew his answering shaft. The head forester gave one cry, then fell face downward and lay still. His life had avenged Rob's father, but the son was outlawed. Forward he ran through the forest before the band could gather their scattered wits, still forward into the great greenwood. The swaying trees seemed to open their arms to the wanderer and to welcome him home. Toward the close of the same day, Rob paused hungry and weary at the cottage of a poor widow, who dwelt upon the outskirts of the forest. Now this widow had often greeted him kindly in his boyhood days, giving him to eat and drink, so he boldly entered her door. The old dame was right glad to see him and baked him cakes in the ashes and had him rest and tell her his story. Then she shook her head. "'Tis an evil wind that blows through Sherwood,' she said. "'The poor are despoiled and the rich ride over their bodies. My three sons have been outlawed for shooting King's deer to keep us from starving, and now hide in the wood. And they tell me that two score of as good men as ever drew bow are hiding with them.' "'Where are they, good mother?' cried Rob. "'By my faith, I will join them.' "'Nay, nay,' replied the old woman at first. But when she saw that there was no other way, she said, "'My sons will visit me tonight. Stay you here and see them if you must.' So Rob stayed willingly to see the widow's sons that night, for they were men after his own heart. And when they found that his mood was with them, they made him swear an oath of fealty and told him the haunt of the band, a place he knew right well. Finally, one of them said, But the band lacks a leader, one who can use his head as well as his hand. So we have agreed that he who has skill enough to go to Nottingham, an outlaw, and win the prize at archery shall be our chief. Rob sprang to his feet. Said in good time, cried he, for I had started to that selfsame fair, and all the foresters and all the sheriff's men in Christendom shall not stand between me and the center of their target. And though he was but barely grown, he stood so straight, and his eyes flashed with such fire, that the three brothers seized his hand and shouted, Alakasly, Alakasly, if you win the golden arrow, you shall be chief of outlaws in Sherwood Forest. So Rob fell to planning how he could disguise himself to go to Nottingham Town, for he knew that the foresters had even then set a price on his head in the marketplace. It was even as Rob had surmised. The sheriff of Nottingham posted a reward of 200 pounds for the capture, dead or alive, of one Robert Fitzooth, outlaw. And the crowds thronging the streets upon that busy fair day often paused to read the notice and talk together about the death of the head forester. But what with wrestling bouts and bouts with quarter staves and wandering minstrels, there came up so many other things to talk about that the reward was forgotten for the nonce, and only the foresters and sheriff's men watched the gates with diligence, the sheriff indeed spurring them to effort by offers of largesse. His hatred of the father had descended to the son. The great event of the day came in the afternoon. It was the archer's contest for the golden arrow, and twenty men stepped forth to shoot. Among them was a beggar man, a sorry-looking fellow with leggings of different colors, and brown scratched face and hands. Over a tawny shock of hair he had a hood drawn, much like that of a monk. 
Slowly, he limped to his place in the line, while the mob shouted in derision. But the contest was open to all comers, so no man said him nay. Side by side with Rob, for it was he, stood a muscular fellow of swarthy visage, and with one eye hid by a green bandage. Him also the crowd jeered, but he passed them by with indifference while he tried his bow with practiced hand. A great crowd had assembled in the amphitheater enclosing the lists. All the gentry and populace of the surrounding country were gathered there in eager expectancy. The central box contained the lean but pompous sheriff, his bejeweled wife and their daughter a supercilious young woman enough, who, it was openly hinted, was hoping to receive the golden arrow from the victor and thus be crowned queen of the day. Next to the sheriff's box was one occupied by the fat bishop of Hereford, while in the other side was a box wherein sat a girl, whose dark hair, dark eyes, and fair features caused Rob's heart to leap. Twas made Marian. She had come up for a visit from the Queen's Court at London Town, and now sat demurely by her father, the Earl of Huntingdon. If Rob had been grimly resolved to win the arrow before, the sight of her sweet face multiplied his determination an hundredfold. He felt his muscles tightening into bands of steel tense and true, yet with all his heart would throb, making him quake in a most unaccountable way. Then the trumpets sounded and the crowd became silent while the herald announced the terms of the contest. The lists were open to all comers. The first target was to be placed at 30 L's distance, and all those who hit its center were allowed to shoot at the second target, placed 10 L's further off. The third target was to be removed yet further until the winner was proved. The winner was to receive the golden arrow and a place with the king's foresters. He it was also who crowned the queen of the day. The trumpet sounded again, and the archers prepared to shoot. Rob looked to his string while the crowd smiled and whispered at the odd figure he cut, with his very colored legs and little cape. But as the first man shot, they grew silent. The target was not so far, but that twelve out of the twenty contestants reached its inner circle. Rob shot sixth in the line and landed fairly, being rewarded by an approving grunt from the man with the green blinder, who shot seventh, and with apparent carelessness yet true to the bullseye. The mob cheered and yelled themselves hoarse at this of even marksmanship. The trumpet sounded again, and a new target was set up at forty L's. The first three archers again struck true amid the loud applause of the onlookers, for they were general favorites and expected to win. Indeed, t'was whispered that each was backed by one of the three dignitaries of the day. The fourth and fifth archers barely grazed the center. Rob fitted his arrow quietly and with some confidence sped it unerringly toward the shining circle. The beggar! The beggar! yelled the crowd. Another bull for the beggar! In truth, his shaft was nearer the center than any of the others, but it was not so near that blinder as the mob had promptly christened his neighbor did not place his shaft just within the mark. Again, the crowd cheered wildly. Such shooting as this was not seen every day in Nottingham Town. The other archers in this round were disconcerted by the preceding shots, were unable to keep the pace. They missed one after another and dropped moodily back, while the trumpet sounded for the third round and the target was set up fifty ells distant. By my halidom, you draw a good bow, young master, said Rob's queer comrade to him in the interval allowed for rest. Do you wish me to shoot first on this trial? Nay, said Rob, but you are a good fellow by this token, and if I will not, I hope you may keep the prize from yon strutters. And he nodded scornfully to the three other archers, who were surrounded by their admirers, and were being made much of by retainers of the sheriff, the bishop, and the earl. From them his eye wandered toward Maid Marian's booth. She had been watching him. It seemed, for their eyes met, then hers were hastily averted. Blinders. Quick eye followed those of Rob. A fair maid, that, he said smilingly, and one more worthy the golden arrow than the sheriff's haughty miss. Rob looked at him swiftly and saw naught but kindliness in his glance. You are a shrewd fellow, and I like you well, was his only comment. Now the archers prepared to shoot again, each with some little care. 
The target seemed hardly larger than the inner ring had looked at the first trial. The first three sped their shafts, and while they were fair shots, they did not more than graze the inner circle. Rob took his stand with some misgiving. Some flecking clouds overhead made the light uncertain, and a handful of wind frolicked across the range in a way quite disturbing to a bowman's nerves. His eyes wandered for a brief moment to the box wherein sat the dark-eyed girl. His heart leapt. She met his glance and smiled at him reassuringly. And in that moment, he felt that she knew him despite his disguise and looked to him to keep the honor of old Sherwood. He drew his bow firmly and, taking advantage of a momentary lull in the breeze, launched the arrow straight and true singing across the range to the center of the target. The beggar! The beggar! A bull! A bull! yelled the fickle mob who, from jeering him, were now his warm friends. Can you beat that, blinder? The last archer smiled scornfully and made ready. He drew his bow with ease and grace and, without seeming to study the course, released the winged arrow. Forward it leapt through the target, and all eyes followed its flight. A loud uproar broke forth when it alighted just without the center and grazing the shaft sent by Rob. The stranger made a gesture of surprise when his own eyes announced the result to him but saw his error. He had not allowed for the fickle gust of wind which seized the arrow and carried it to one side. But for all that he was the first to congratulate the victor. I hope we may shoot again, quoth he. In truth, I care not for the golden bauble and wish to win it in despite of the sheriff for whom I have no love. Now crown the lady of your choice." And turning suddenly, he was lost in the crowd, before Rob could utter what it was upon his lips to say that he would shoot again with him. And now the herald summoned Rob to the sheriff's box to receive the prize. You are a curious fellow enough, said the sheriff, biting his lip coldly. Yet you shoot well. What name go you by? Marion sat near and was listening intently. I am called Rob the Stroller, my lord sheriff, said the archer. Marion leaned back and smiled. Well, Rob the Stroller, with a little attention to your skin and clothes, you would not be so bad a man, said the sheriff. How like you the idea of entering my service? Rob the Stroller has ever been a free man, my lord, and desires no service. The sheriff's brow darkened, yet for the sake of his daughter and the golden arrow he dissembled. Rob the Stroller, said he, here is the golden arrow which has been offered to the best of archers this day. You are awarded the prize. See that you bestow it worthily. At this point, the herald nudged Rob and half inclined his head toward the sheriff's daughter, who sat with a thin smile upon her lips. But Rob heeded him not. He took the arrow and strode to the next box where sat Maid Marian. Lady, he said, pray accept this little fledge from a poor stroller who would devote the best shafts in his quiver to serve you. My thanks to you, Robin the Hood, replied she with a roguish twinkle in her eye. And she placed the gleaming arrow in her hair while the people shouted, The Queen! The Queen! The sheriff glowered furiously upon this ragged archer, who had refused his service, taken his prize without a word of thanks, and snubbed his daughter. He would have spoken, but his proud daughter restrained him. He called to his guard and bade them watch the beggar, but Rob had already turned swiftly, lost himself in the throng, and headed straight for the town gate. That same evening, within a forest glade, a group of men— some two-score clad in Lincoln green sat round a fire roasting venison and making merry. Suddenly a twig crackled, and they sprang to their feet and seized their weapons. I look for the widow's sons, a clear voice said, and I come alone. Instantly the three men stepped forward. Tis Rob, they cried. Welcome to Sherwood Forest, Rob. And all the men came and greeted him, for they had heard his story. Then one of the widow's sons, Stout Will, stepped forth and said, Comrades all, ye know that our band has sadly lacked a leader, one of birth, breeding, and skill. Belike we have found that leader in this young man. And I and my brothers have told him that the band would choose that one who should bring the sheriff to shame this day and capture his golden arrow. Is it not so? The band gave assent. Will turned to Rob. "'What news bring you from Nottingham Town?' asked he. Rob laughed. 
In truth, I brought the sheriff to shame for mine own pleasure, and won his golden arrow to boot. But as to the prize, ye must e'en take my word, for I bestowed it upon a maid. And seeing the men stood in doubt at this, he continued, But I'll gladly join your band, and you take me as a common archer, for there are others older and mayhap more skilled than I. Then stepped one forward from the rest, a tall swarthy man, and Rob recognized him as the man with the green blinder. Only this was now removed, and his freed eye gleamed as stoutly as the other one. Rob in the hood, for such the lady called you, said he. I can vouch for your tale. You shamed the sheriff e'en as I had hoped to do, and we can forego the golden arrow since it is in such fair hands. As to your shooting and mine, we must let future days decide. But here I will stutely declare that I will serve none other chief save only you. Then good Will Stutely told the outlaws of Rob's deeds, and gave him his hand of fealty, and the widow's sons did likewise, and the other members every one right gladly, because Will Stutely had heretofore been the truest beau in all the company, and they toasted him in nut-brown ale and hailed him as their leader by the name of Robin Hood, and he accepted that name because Maid Marian had said it. By the light of the campfire, the band exchanged signs and passwords. They gave Robin Hood a horn upon which he was to blow to summon them. They swore also that while they might take money and goods from the unjust rich, they would aid and befriend the poor and the helpless, and that they would harm no woman, be she maid, wife, or widow. They swore all this with solemn oaths while they feasted upon the ruddy blaze under the greenwood tree. And that is how Robin Hood became an outlaw. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week to hear Ellie's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear one of her favorite fairy tales.